0: Now, uh, let's get into what we're talking about tonight. If you, open up, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 1. And it's been, it's been said, uh, we're starting this new thing that we're calling the whole counsel of God, which sounds rather ambitious, um, and, and maybe it is in, in, in a certain way, but I'm really taking that from something the Apostle Paul says in Acts 20, where he's, he's meeting with these people, and he's about to leave them, and, and he, his final words are these. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so really the question we're asking is, what did he mean? You know, what is, In other words, what is the whole picture? What is the whole council? What is the whole of Christianity about? And uh, if you're not familiar with the, uh, the Apostle Paul, he wrote 13 of the 27 books, so-called books of the New Testament, uh, more than anyone else did. And so we're going to be looking at uh, different uh, letters that he wrote, exploring what Paul meant by this? What are the main themes he, ke- he keeps hitting on? What, what's the big picture that he constantly presents? And, and maybe in some ways, the first part of the semester, we're going to be looking at um, uh, more of what you'd call the, the big picture theological issues uh, with application. Later in the semester, it'll be really uh, you know, focused on um, what this means for our, our own lives and how God calls us to live by faith and what that looks like in the details of our lives. And, and one of the reasons, maybe even the primary reason, that I want us to do this is because I think that um, a lot of us say that we're Christians, and you are Christians, but um, you believe bits and pieces of Christianity. You understand bits and pieces of Christianity. Uh, maybe you like certain things that Jesus said. Maybe you don't like certain things that Jesus said. Maybe there's some things you believe and some things you don't. But it's hard, I think often it's hard for us to understand the big picture and how all of these individual parts fit into a bigger whole. That's very important to understand if you're to know what Christianity is all about. And so that's what we're trying to do. Take the bits and pieces and fit them into the larger picture of, of what God has done for us in Christ. And maybe in some ways, what we're looking at tonight is, is really the whole council. And in some ways, I would say the passage that we're looking at tonight, everything else we'll be doing throughout the semester is an application of, of this. Um, and so give your attention to this. This is from Ephesians chapter one, uh, starting in verse three, and we'll go down through verse 14. Let me read, read these verses. I'll pray for us, and, and we'll uh, dig into them together. Ephesians one, verse three. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let me pray for us and we'll look at these verses together. Our gracious God, we pray uh, that you would um, uh, speak to us through your word. As we talked about last week, um, you have made yourself known. You have made yourself known in Scripture. These are are your words that you spoke um, uh, through your servants um, to make yourself known in this world. And so we pray that you would do that with us as we talk about what we've just read here. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I was... One of, the, one of the shows I regularly listen to is um, a show called This American Life on NPR. Um, and if you don't know anything about this show, it usually is, uh, it takes a certain theme and then it tells three or four stories to kind of you know, demonstrate you know, what that theme is all about to work that out. And, and the, the one I was listening to last week, the theme was um, things people do for others and the unintended consequences that follow. Things people do for others and the unintended consequences that follow. And uh, one of the stories was about this aid worker in Afghanistan, and it, and it wasn't really the details of the story that, that struck me as much as it was something that she said about aid work. She was, you know, she was talking about how one of the basic rules of development is that you don't give people money. That's one of the basic, you know, just basic ground level rules of going into another country and helping people out is you don't give people money because you don't want to create this dependent relationship directly upon you. And, and here's the quote, actually, that really struck me as I, as I was listening to this. She said, basically, you don't want to set that precedence of I give, you receive. You don't want to set that precedence of I give, you receive. There's, in other words, she talked about how there's a, there's a bigger plan of betterment um, that you go in with and that you try to draw people into if, if you're going to help, help them. Now... Look, to be fair, you know, I, you kind of understand what she's getting at, right? Um, I understand what she means. But what struck me about um, her comment was how dramatically, um, you know, opposite that is with the way the Bible describes how God is with us. Um, and this is, the, this is the big picture. The Bible describes the way God is with us as he is the one who gives and we are the ones that receive. It is a relationship of dependence um, that God creates with us in the gospel. Um, you know, We touched on this last week, and, and again, Ben mentioned this at the beginning, but when we talk about the whole counsel of God, it's very important to see this. What we, what we don't mean is, is we don't, God isn't like an aid worker going into a broken, destitute country to try to make things better. In other words, God doesn't look upon this world that's a mess and say, I'm going to go in there and offer some help. And so when we talk about the whole counsel, it's not God coming in saying, hey, here's my counsel for you. You know, here, here's what's wrong. Here's what's a mess. I'm going to come alongside of you. I'm going to give my input. I'm going to give my advice and, and hopefully make things better here. Because, you see, if, if, that's, what, if that's what God does, you think about someone who, who comes alongside of you and gives advice to you, the burden is actually upon you as to whether you're going to take that advice or not, Right? Uh, they, they may come in with insight and wisdom, but then it's really up to you um, whether you're going to follow that advice or insight or input, right? And in, in the end, the burden is up on you. Um, whose counsel will you take? Will you take it or not? But you see, when we talk about God's counsel, it's about not advice that he's given, but it's, it's God's counsel in the sense of this is what God has counseled to do. This is what God himself has decided to do. This is the action that God himself has decided to take. And you see the difference between the two. The difference is this. The burden is not on you, the burden is on him. See, that is the difference. It's not God coming in to give you counsel for how to make your life better, how to clean up your mess, where the burden is then upon you to either follow that or not. It's God counseling to take action to fix things, and he places the burden upon himself to do so. That's the counsel. And, and that's what you see in these verses, and it's what we're going to be talking about. Really, this passage opens up to us the counsel that God has taken, and, and here's what we're going to talk about. God has placed the burden on himself to redeem people like you and me. God has placed the burden on himself to redeem people like you and me. And so the, here are the three points. We're going to work that out as we, uh, as we kind of go along here. And, and the first point is this. God has a plan and it's about what he's going to accomplish. He has a plan, it's about what he's going to accomplish. And just to be clear, if you missed it from simply reading um, what's here, yes, this includes things like predestination, right? Yes, this includes words like God choosing, um, electing these things that are so hard for us to understand and create so many um, arguments and, and confusion, but here it is, here it is, right? Um, it's, it's, not, it, it's what Paul himself is saying, Um, If you look at verse 4, he chose us, God chose us in him before the foundations of the earth. In other words, outside of time, outside of space, outside of history, in eternity, God did something. Um, Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. And then you know maybe the most all-inclusive, far-reaching statements of of them all in verse 11, where he puts all these words together, and he says, "Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will." Now let me back up for a second and and say this: Yes, as we approach these things, um, I'm not saying, and I don't intend to to explain um, all of this because. It's not something that we can fully comprehend, right? In other words, look, um, God exists outside of time and space and eternity. You and I don't. God is the creator. We're his creatures. God is related to this world in a very different way. And you you think even our thinking takes time and space, right? I mean, you have brain that takes space, Right? You think A, B equals C, and that takes time for you to do. And God existing in eternity outside of time and space has is related to this world in a completely different way. And so when we talk about God doing things in eternity, it's not something that you and I you or I can expect to fully comprehend um, or understand. But it doesn't mean that we can deny that it's true. Because here it is. Um, here is what Paul says. And this may be one of the clearest passages that talk about these things, but at the same time, I think it's important for us to see that the Bible doesn't use words like predestination, choosing, stuff like that. It's not that the, these things show up in a few difficult, obscure passages that where there's a lot of like questioning about what is really meant. Really, this is kind of like the storyline of the entire Bible. Um, I Recently, I started reading Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And you read that book, and that's what it's all about. You know, uh, God coming to Abraham. Abraham's not looking for God. God comes to him. God chooses him. Uh, You think of Abraham's son, Isaac. Isaac's son, Jacob. Jacob's 12 sons that make up Israel, the, the various tribes of Israel. And it's not a story about God coming alongside of people and people partnering, partnering with God to accomplish something. It's, it's the opposite of that. It's, it's God overcoming the things that people continue to do that would break off their relationship with him. It's about God overcoming the things that stand in the way of people in him. And it's no different when you get to the New Testament. It's no different with us. And now next week, you'll have to come back because next week we're going to talk about more about the reasons why this is the case, why the Bible says this is the case, so we talk about the way Paul describes sin. But I do want to deal with some of the obvious things that make this so difficult for us. Um, And I think we can sum it up like this. These things, predestination, election, God choosing, appear to us as cold. Um, They appear unloving. Uh, Maybe maybe you hear this and, and, and it appears arbitrary. Uh, It appears unfair. And one of the things I I want to to say is, is first of all, you have to be aware with those objections about what's kind of being assumed or what's being presupposed in those objections. For instance, um, as you think about um, this being uh, something uh, that appears arbitrary, does it seem arbitrary simply because you don't understand how God is thinking about this? You know, look, I have three kids, and I may make decisions that seem arbitrary to them that they don't understand, but it's not arbitrary at all. They simply don't understand what's going on in my mind. And, And could the same be true for us as we think about the decisions God makes? It's not arbitrary at all just because you don't understand why God does the things he does. Just because God's reasonings aren't open for your evaluation doesn't mean that God is being arbitrary. It just means that we can't understand and see fully how God works. Um, Likewise, if you think this sounds unfair, is it simply because um, you're presupposing or you're assuming that that, uh, all of us, everyone is deserving or are you looking at it as all of us being equally undeserving? And we'll, and we'll actually touch more on that at the end, but here's the main objection that I want to deal with here because it's the one that Paul deals with. And it's this objection that predestination appears, this whole topic appears to be cold. It, it, it portrays God as being cold, calculating, in, in kind of this unloving way. And, and the, the thing I simply want to do is to point out how different this is from, from the way Paul talks about it here. And if you look at verses four and five, the end of verse four and into five, he says, It's in love that he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. It's in love. And, and here's what I want to point out I would argue that the most loving things we experience, we don't have a say in. The, the most loving things we experience aren't something that we help with. Um, aren't something we help decide, it's something that's completely done for us. Let me give an example. Uh, the, the, the best gift I ever got was from my wife 10 years ago and it was our fifth anniversary. Uh, we were living in Philadelphia and um, I came home, this was a couple of, it was a couple of weeks for, before our anniversary, and so I wasn't expecting anything, I wasn't looking for anything, and I walk upstairs, and on my, on my desk is this brand-new fly rod, and I was really I had time to fly fish back then, I don't now, don't now. But it's a very nice, a G. Loomis rod, it's a very nice rod, a reel, and, and I, I walked in and I saw that, completely uh, unexpected, completely unlooked for, and I, and I distinctly remember, I can still see it in my mind, walking in my room, my mouth dropping open and, and saying, what is this? You know, what is this? And, you know, Angie was behind me and she actually you know, thought something was wrong because I was, I was so shocked by this thing that I, that I completely did not expect, that I completely did not even hope for or didn't even imagine that it would be there. And now contrast that for a minute with maybe how Christmas works for you, or at least Christmas often works in my household where there are a whole lot of hints. Um, there are lists that are made. There are, you know, things that are directly asked for. Um, but, but this is love. The best love is when someone makes decisions and takes action completely on their own for you. Isn't that true? Isn't that true in your experience? The best Love is when someone makes decisions and takes actions completely on their own for you. And that's what this is all about. Um, That is what God does when he comes to us and he redeems us. It's not cold, it's not unloving, it's just the opposite. I have this quote on your outlines here. Sinclair Ferguson, um, he says this. He says, if we ask, why did he choose me? The only answer is he loved you. But surely there must be some other reason. Why, what was there about me that made him love me? Did he see that I was the kind of person who would trust him? No, he says, I am the kind of person who is dead in sins. There is nothing in me that makes God love me. The reason for his love lies in himself. It is grace from start to finish, nothing but sheer grace." And we don't have time to go into this, but it has to be pointed out because Paul is is pointing it out here, how it is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who counsels together who makes these decisions and makes it happen to bring the salvation to us. And if you look here, you see this in these verses, um, in uh, verse 3 and 9 and 11, it talks about how the God the, God the Father has purposed, he, is, you know, he has planned. Um, verse 3 and 7 and other places, how it's the Son, it's Jesus Christ who has come and accomplished this um, for us, it says in verse 7, through his own blood. And then the last couple of verses we looked at, in verses 13 and 14, how the Holy Spirit is the one who takes it and applies it uh, in our lives here and now. And, and theologians actually call this the counsel of redemption. You know, here, is the, here is God's counsel. Here is the counsel of redemption. It is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, counseling in order to accomplish redemption and to bring it to us. You see, in other words, it's not an agreement between you and God that equals redemption. It's an agreement between the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit that secures our redemption. It's their counsel. And and this does lead to the second thing that I want to talk about. And and this is going to be briefer because we're going to spend more time in a couple of weeks exploring this. Uh, but, it, but it's this, God's plan has Jesus Christ at, at the center of it. God's plan from eternity, in other words, this council of redemption in eternity is worked out in history um, through Jesus Christ. Um, in other words, it's only in Jesus Christ that, that you learn what God has planned. It's only in Christ that we learn what God has planned. If you look at verse nine real quick, he talks about the mystery of God's will And then down in verse 10, he says, as the plan for the fullness of time. And I have this verse on your outline, Galatians 4, where Paul uses similar language, and he says, but when the fullness of time had come, Christ came, born of a woman, born under the law. The fullness of time, here is the manifestation of the mystery, and it's in Christ. He's the plan. You see, the question that, that runs throughout the Bible is, What is God going to do about all of this? You know, what is God going to do about all of the mess in this world around me? What is God going to do about my mess? What is God going to do about sin and death? How is God going to do what he promised when he said he was going to make things right, going to redeem, going to bring new life? And the answer to that question is found when Jesus comes. And this is why the Gospels are so important, the first four books of your New Testament. And you see Jesus doing things like what? The the deaf hear, the lame walk, the blind see, good news is preached to the poor, all of these different things. And you see here is what God intends. It's mercy, it's grace, it's restoration. And all of it points forward. It's a glimpse. All of those things are a glimpse to what Jesus will Fully bring about through his death and resurrection to overcome sin and and all of its consequences. And, And it's important to see here simply this there is no other plan. There is no other plan. This is it. In other words, no other plan is needed to deal with all of the things that you face. No other plan is needed. Because there's nothing that God fails to foresee. See, in other words, there's nothing in your life, past, going on right now in the present, or that will happen in your life in the future, that God's plan in Christ does not address. The entirety of what God has planned is in Christ. And if you just just glance through these verses for a minute, and you see Paul repeating that again and again and again, this phrase, in Christ. Um, if, you, if you look at uh, verse uh, three, um, uh, that every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. Verse four, uh, that he chose us in him. Verse five, that we're adopted through Jesus Christ. If you look at verses uh, seven, nine, 10, 11, 13, almost every verse has this phrase, in him, in Christ, through him. In other words, it's Christ plus nothing else. Um, At yeah, the time of the, the Reformation, um, theologians, there's kind of this rediscovery of, of the gospel, of what the Bible actually taught. They would use this phrase sola Christos, which is in Latin simply means Christ alone. Christ alone, Christ plus nothing else. If it's all in Christ, it means it's not through, it's not in and it's not through anything else. In other words, it's not Christ plus penance that you feel like you have to do to make things right. It's not Christ plus how sorry you feel this time for what you've done. Um, It's not Christ plus how good you've become over the years since you've become a Christian. It's Christ plus nothing else. That is God's plan. It's Christ plus nothing else. And, And here's one application I want you to think about before we move on to the last point. And I take this from uh, something that John Stone, who did RUF for a long time at University of Tennessee, said. And he said this in kind of a different setting to a bunch of ministers. But he said, you know, there are times that you should be able to sit down and do absolutely nothing and not feel guilty about it because you trust that God has accomplished everything in Christ. There are times you should be able to sit in your living room in a chair in complete silence in freedom and peace because you realize that everything has been done in Christ. Now look, some of you hear that and you have no problem doing that at all. (laughs) Um, And and you're like, hey, that's great. You know, that's what I do anyway and use it as, as an excuse to do nothing at all. But look, others of you have a problem with this because you can't sit and do nothing without feeling guilty. You can't sit and do nothing without uh, feeling useless or like a failure. And you have to ask yourself, you know, is that, is that in some way reveal what you believe about God and what he's done for you? Is that in some way reveal, reveal that you don't really believe it's all in Christ or in Christ alone, but surely it's Christ plus these other things that I know God wants me to be doing, and I sure do feel guilty if I'm not doing all of these things. Or can you rest and sit and do nothing Because you know that all of it has been accomplished and all of it is complete in Christ. Now, last point this leads to, and it's this. We're simply the beneficiaries of of all that God has planned. That's your part. You sit there and you benefit from it. And actually, I think this is the main point that Paul is, is making throughout everything that he says here. You know, if you look at these verses... It's th- uh, verse 3 through 14 is 12 verses, and it's, uh, it's just over 200 words long. And thankfully, the translators of this have kind of cleaned, cleaned up Paul's grammar because Paul wrote this all as one sentence. All of this, as Paul wrote it in Greek, was one sentence. And, and you get the sense, as, as you know that, if, if you know that, that Paul is just throwing grammar out the window And it's just gushing forth because he's so overwhelmed with the bigness of what God has done. And and, you know, here's the thing: if if you're a Christian, that is the basis for your life in Christ. Is it flows out of you being overwhelmed with the bigness of what God has done? You look at this. How it begins in verse three: "Blessed be." God, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. You see, and, and here's the point. Paul's aim here is not so much to teach the quote-unquote deep things of the Christian faith, though he does. You know, things like predestination. His aim isn't simply to teach those things. His aim is to praise God. And all of these deep theological truths, his understanding of these things, lead him to praise God and worship God. That is his point. And if you're a Christian, this is what your life flows from. It's not so much you figuring out all the things that God wants you to do for him. It's you living thankfully for all the things he's done for you. And all the things that you do as a Christian flow from that foundation of thankfulness because all that God has accomplished for you in Christ. But here's the thing I want you to see if if you're not a Christian and, and it's this, this is what it means to have faith. And it, you see this, if you look down at verse 13, it's hearing this, he says, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And it's hearing this that leads to believing in him. You know, I think there's a lot of confusion about faith. And, it, and faith is like, sometimes it may feel to you like it's this substance you've got to get. And you know, you just don't have it. And so you've got to get it. And how do you get it? How do you have faith? How do you believe? Look, faith, is simply a reaction to you beginning to see all that God has accomplished in Christ. That's what it is. It's your reaction to to grasping, beginning to get a small grasp on the bigness of all that God has done for us in Christ. Um, Habitat for Humanity, great organization. Surely you're familiar with it. Probably a lot of you have worked on some of those homes. And and you know how it works, right? they, the Habitat for Humanity gathers a lot of volunteers, and you, uh, you build a house for someone who in no way could afford one on their own. But the family who's getting the house, you, you probably know there's this um, contract that they have to sign because there's this agreement. They have to put in so many hours. You know, It's an official contract. There's so many hours they have to put, on, you know, put in to building this house um, to get it. And, I, you know, hey, no problem with that. That's great. It's a great organization. But I simply want you to compare that with Complete Home Makeover. Have you seen that show? Um, and, and you see how, you know how different that is? Because in Complete Home Makeover, what happens is you get selected, and they send you away, and, they, and when you get back, you're, it's not even your house anymore. It's something that's completely different. And, and, and of course, you know, every, the end is always the same, There's this truck or whatever blocking the view and they're there, the truck drives away and there's the house and they're speechless. And the family starts to walk through the house and then they start to run through the house from room to room seeing all of these things that others have done for them and they weren't a part of any of it. And the question is, which of those would you rather have? Would you rather have something that you're working for or would you rather get to run through it freely like they do, having it all done for you and is more than you could have ever imagined? You see, that is what the gospel is like. And that is why Paul uses words like, you're blessed, riches have been lavished upon you. You are simply the ones who receive all that God has done in your behalf. And you know, let me just end with this. This brings us back to this objection about all of this seeming in one way unfair, God you know, choosing or predestining or whatever. And I, and I think the most helpful way I've heard it put was by someone was this, who said, the issue is not fairness. The issue really isn't fairness at all. It's, it's, not, it's not unfair, uh, but it's not fair either. Um, It's beyond fair for God to show love and mercy like this to people like you and me. And it's what leads Paul to praise God in view of all that he's done for him, as you see him describe here. Let me pray for us that we would understand that together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do not understand your ways. Um, Even these these deep things uh, that we, um, as Paul does, can learn to rejoice in, we can't fully comprehend them. Uh, But what we know is it means that you have done everything for us and that redemption is secure because of what you've done, not because of any part we, we play. And I pray that as we understand that, the application would simply be gratefulness, amazement, um, thankfulness that would flow forth from our lives for all that you have done on our behalf. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.